Welcome back to USFL Daily here at 44 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life and CEO over at RunTheSims.com, none other than Justin Freeman. Justin, how is everything going post three weeks of USFL where all those watching the show were not living under a rock? They also understand our frustration with injury reports at this time. Yeah, things are a little rocky right this second. We are persevering. We are uh, putting our blinders on. We're pretending that didn't happen. Or actually, better yet, we're learning. I don't know. What do you learn from that, John? I don't know. The, not, I actually, I actually do have an input on what we learned. And I think it is fairly easy through three weeks to overthink USFL DFS. Even in like the Wildcat last week, for example, I did not play Paul Terry. Did I expect like 80 plus percent snaps and for him to handle, I think it was, what was it, 14 or 16 backfield touches? No. Why am I overthinking this product? Like it should still very clearly be our strategy to just play the best plays. And I know that sounds simple, but like we don't need to be getting too cute with USFL DFS. Just play the best plays. And now that I witnessed that effect happen to me, and saw that like no one was on Paul Terry when they should have been the whole time. And I'm just going to take that strategy moving forward. It's like, okay, if you overthink that's that's fine. I'm just going to keep playing the guys where the stats tell us to play the guys. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Use the old Occam's razor philosophy lesson on how to diagnose who's most likely to succeed in these scenarios. Paul Terry, everything lined up last week. He was in a two person backfield. So already, you know, we're looking at, you know, more or less a 50-50 split there with Matt Colbert. Now, Matt Colbert's on the injury report. It should have been wheels up. We should have seen that coming a bit more. I think, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit like I'm stuck in the NFL injury reporting mindset in terms of like what questionable means, what doubtful means, what probable means. And I think realistically, if any of these guys are on the injury report for any reason, uh, we need to widen our expectations of what that may actually mean for their availability because Matt Colburn was put on ice last week. I mean, he was bubble wrapped on the sideline, came in really only when Paul Terry was like tapping his helmet, had had enough and needed to come get a breather. That's when they would uh, toss Colburn in there. So it's just like, yeah, just whatever explanation takes the fewest steps in logic to get you to the answer seems to be the right way to go. Let's stop overthinking it. Let's stop trying to over leverage the field. Let's just play, you know, the simplest, most basic, you know, uh, positive EV lineups that we can get our hands on. There are so many COVID list options. For example, this week, you'll have them all. You've already been inputting them into the projections that run the Sims. And so I'll definitely get your opinion as we go game by game. But even then, like I see the injury report, lots of question marks. And I just think, what if I avoid this and just play the play the receivers that I know are going to be out there, right? Every, while everyone else tries to get injury leverage here, when injury leverage almost doesn't even matter in USFL. Like, Jordan Ellis was a great play last week with 26 touches, right? 25 carries. But at the same time, he's the same kind of running back that we should look to avoid, just like a, a Garrett Groshek, for instance, because we don't want those guys if they're not scoring touchdowns because 25 carries in USFL DFS is meaningless if you don't have the explosiveness to get over 100 yards for that five-point bonus. Like, all that is is nine points, right? So why am I worried whatsoever about a 20-carry back who's not seeing targets? And so there are a few of those situations to talk about as we move along, and I want to start with the Friday night showdown slate. And 
I will allow you to discuss this in the form of showdown since you are the individual who wrote the book on that as well. That is also what Run the Sim specializes in. But as someone who is playing the four-game slate, because the two-game slate, we'll discuss it as well for Saturday. I was hoping we get a three-game, but then when I looked to lock it in, they did not get us a three-game, unfortunately. I prefer to late swap, and so I'm playing the four-game heavily over all these others. But let's go ahead and start with showdown talk with the Philadelphia Stars at the Michigan Panthers. And it appears... Not only do we have this game solo tonight with a starting quarterback out, let's start on Philadelphia's side, but also, Justin, I believe there are gusts of 50-plus mile-per-hour winds in Birmingham right now. Yeah, I, I think that weather may settle down a little bit, but that, that is a viable reason to want to uh, fade maybe some of the passing options in this game. I was actually pretty drawn towards uh, considering Case Cookus this week and uh, a name that still doesn't quite roll off the tongue the way you want it to. Case Cookus, what a name. Uh, <laughs> he is our new starting quarterback for Philadelphia. He takes over for Brian Scott, who basically uh, posted his retirement message from the USFL earlier this week. He obviously took on that knee and ankle injury, and I think his season's done for Philly, and it's going to be the Cookus show from now on. And, you know, the stars are playing a completely different brand of football than everyone else in the league. They're dropping back at a rate unprecedented by any of the seven other teams, not anyone in the, in the same ballpark. So a, a team that obviously wants to throw the ball did catch a clip from Bart Andrews after the game last week, where he seemed a little frustrated in their inability to stop the run defensively and kind of establish it offensively. He thought maybe they had maybe gone a little too far into one dimensional territory. So it wouldn't surprise me if they got the running back back active again this week, but they are back to a two game or a two back committee in that backfield for Philly. It's going to be only Paul Terry and Matt Colburn. There's no Darnell Holland again this week. And so if Colburn is still maybe mending from this uh, lateral meniscus injury he has, we could once again see a massive workload for Paul Terry. And whether they decide to lean on the run or uh, air it out a bit more, Terry's plenty involved in both of those facets. It looks like a slam dunk play, probably my favorite play on the four-game slate. So – I'm thinking about how I handled this. You mentioned Terry, for instance, as your favorite play on the slate. But although he did have the the eight catches or eight targets, uh, it's the fact that I believe we do have numerous, two or three, 20-plus touch running backs in the four-game slate that also see three to five targets most likely. And Terry, although he commanded, as I mentioned earlier, 87% of Philadelphia's backfield touches, also it was only 14 touches because this team, again, doesn't run the ball. And so if I know they're going to continue passing Philadelphia with the strong wins potentially, and then also the fact that Michigan hasn't allowed more than 145 passing yards in any game this year, I kind of want to be overweight on the Michigan defense more than anything. And like, I don't think Terry's a bad play, but since for the first time all year, I feel like I actually have to sort through the running backs and play them accordingly because I think there are four strong ones. I think Terry, the one is is uh, that I'm personally leaving out, just me. And when I was building my lineups for that, I even thought, man, I do like Terry. I even like Terry with Michigan's defense since, like, I don't expect him to be explosive, but he is going to be like Juju Smith-Schuster and collect at least, like, eight point points for catches. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I think I actually don't mind leaving it behind this week. Just for me personally, for all those reasons and knowing this is the lowest total on the board. 
Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of touchdown equity built into his game uh, just because of how they're going to score their points once they get in close. We see the quarterbacks actually take off a little bit towards the, the red zone. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely a case to be made to ding Paul Terry. He's involved enough in the passing game for me personally to feel really comfortable about the floor that he's going to bring to you. Uh, and maybe he doesn't have that 100-yard breakaway uh, game in him like we've seen from say Mark Thompson or someone like that uh, but I like the I like the the floor for sure and maybe after the last couple of weeks I'm, I may be uh, softly searching for floors more than I, I once was um, so trying to find somebody some rock to cling to uh, in this type of scenario now on the other side with with the Panthers backfield you've got a, a three-way committee emerging there. And I think a lot of people will see what Reggie Corbin did last week uh, as obviously the, the news story of the week, him being inactive, but uh, not necessarily knowing what to do with that. Stevie Scott still operated as like the one a in that backfield for the first half of the game before Corbin really took off. Um, and, and Corbin did, he did bust off a late run late in that game. Um, and so that was the big play that really sprung him on the stat sheet. You know, before that happened, I was mostly just mad that he cut into Cameron Scarlett's workload. But after that, I was like, oh, well, you actually, you know, needed Corbin, you know, uh, and you didn't actually, I guess, need him because nobody had him. Right. So anyway, it, it makes for a really tricky situation trying to figure out what they're going to do going forward. Um, be interested to get your takes there. I thought, I think all three will continue to be a staple and it's just going to be really hard to pick the right one on a weekly basis. I don't want to play them in the four game slate, because as you mentioned, this is still a three-way committee like Cameron Scarlett may be a lesser part of it, but he's still involved enough to where I'm not, too worried about trying to hone in on Stevie Scott or Reggie Corbin at all. And so I don't mind skipping past them. Um, the real player that everyone's discussing is Lance Lenore, if only for like the 38% target share last week, right? Uh, from Shea Patterson has received at least 120 air yards in his games every game so far this year. And as we mentioned last week, everyone keeps going back to him for that target share. And so I will just repeat the same thing I said last week. Curious if this is where you're at as well in the four-game slate, is that these targets are not going to get realized, right? This is not something we look at target-shared air yards and say, yeah, Lenore's going to hit now. No. Shea Patterson's yards per attempt has dropped in every single week. He is the same player we knew as an undrafted NFL prospect. So despite the 38% target share, despite the downfield targets, I don't care. Everyone keeps playing him thinking he's going to realize this opportunity and turn it into production. No, because it's Shea Patterson under center. So I still love being underweight and fading the field for Lenore every single week, including this week. Being underweight on pass catchers in this league in general seems like a positive EV scenario. Like we, if anybody feels super confident in any of these guys, that's a good, good enough reason to try to avoid them. And I feel that way about Lance Lenore. As you mentioned, a, a Shea Patterson target is not super attractive, and uh, Lenore gets a lot of them. So uh, that's that's all he's got to hang his hat on. That granted, he's on the verge. He will at one you know on one of these ten weeks this season probably break a slate. We just are not going to know which one it is, and um, it, the pieces will the planets will align, so to speak. For that, but you know, as you're looking for reasons to X players out of your player pool, Shea Patterson's a perfect example of how you can 
justify Xing out every single Michigan Panther. And obviously I think there is a decision to be made on Lenore. If you're building 150, I don't think you want to fade them across the board, but I certainly don't mind trying to mix in other guys there. Um, you know, there, there's a, obviously a big bull case to, to play him. He's not gone below 30% of teams targets in three consecutive weeks. That's if that happened in the NFL, I'd be telling you to play this guy. Uh, but we're dealing with a different level of sort of talent floor across the board. And that makes things a little bit different. So yeah, I think uh, sprinkling him in is fine, but uh, going too heavy on Lance Lenore could be a cautionary tale. I agree. But how are you handling this? That's how I'm handling it for four game slates. Let's talk about it in the context of showdown tonight. Then how are you handling this game in general? What do you think is the best strategy for building for showdown? Yeah, so Lance Lenore comes out as my sixth best play on the slate for showdown. Uh, Case Cook is number one, Paul Terry number two, then Shea Patterson, Bug Howard, Jordan Sewell. So he becomes the top-ranked uh, Michigan Panther on the board, and just behind him is uh, the Panthers' defense. And so that gives you a sense. Like I've got him coming in at 39% uh, in an optimal lineup, and – I mean, as you're trying to figure out how to stay under the salary cap, play guys that you feel confident are actually going to be on the field. Um, Lenore is a bit of a salary hog. Now, granted, Paul Terry is only $1,600 on the showdown slate. So he becomes sort of the free square that lets you do whatever else you want with the rest of your lineup. So not even you don't even have to use him in the captain spot. Just toss him in a flex spot with Paul Terry. Um, and, and you can choose to, to go heavy on Lenore. I think obviously if you're playing Lenore, you don't even necessarily need Shea Patterson to go along with him. Um, you, you could if you wanted to, but – I don't think you have to force that because Lenore is the type of possession volume receiver that can get there even on a bad day from the quarterback. You know, if he goes, you know, eight for a hundred, that could be a totally mad day for Shea Patterson, but that's a monster day uh, for fantasy scoring for Lance Lenore. You start with both defenses in your showdown lineup in USFL too, right? Like, is, is that something people should be doing? I, I should have asked that more open-ended because that's the strategy I've been using that I think is the best strategy for how low scoring these games are, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. So the fields are small enough where you don't need the number one possible scoring lineup, um, which is different than NFL showdown in season where there's 200,000 people. You must, must have the uh, nut lineup in order to win. Here you need a really good lineup. Um, and one that's just uh, a tenth of a point better than everyone else's. And so to do that, getting defenses in is sort of a great cheat code because the floor for defenses tends to be relatively high, especially in a game like this. Um, the Stars are the team that's going to lead the league in dropbacks this season. Dropbacks are what we're looking for for sacks and pressures and you know forcing turnovers. So it's a good recipe to play Panthers defense fits in nicely. And then on the other side of the ball, when you flip that, well, Shea Patterson is the quarterback on the other team. You, we know he can take a sack with the best of them uh, and toss picks. And so big plays coming for the defense when you do that. So, yeah, e even if they don't possess like the highest ceilings on the slate, you may not necessarily need that in a field that's uh, quite the size. Let's go ahead and move to the second game that kicks us off Saturday and begins the two-game slate for Saturday, the New Jersey Generals at the Pittsburgh Maulers. And let's open up with New Jersey's offense because we are all curious what to do with an individual who we will not be smirched since he leads the entire league in yards per attempt, both through the air and on the ground, and a backup quarterback in DeAndre Johnson, who also 
saved me since I did not do well in the four-game slate last week, but I got it all back by playing a backup quarterback who I thought was the most talented on the slate the following day in the three-gamer. So how do we handle DeAndre Johnson in the four-game, let's start with, because in the two-gamer, I think you can absolutely play him. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. I'm sprinkling him in. As I created my player pool for this four-game slate, uh, I tried to find, you know, I'm trying to find reasons to get rid of folks. And, you know, I've, I can't find a good enough reason to get rid of DeAndre Johnson. Granted, he's in a platoon. That may be reason enough. But I got a feeling that these New Jersey generals are within two weeks of pulling the plug on Luis Perez altogether. And if that happens, DeAndre Johnson has a one-of-a-kind ceiling at the quarterback position with, with the way he runs – and you know if he can be even moderately competent as a passer, I mean he's in the conversation week in week out for a hundred yard rushing bonus. Um, and then in games where he hits that bonus, he's going to be highly correlated to score a touchdown. So I love it. I, if I had to pick a quarterback in this game, there's no comparison. I'd pick DeAndre Johnson over Josh Love and Kyle Laletta for sure. And I, to me, as the, if we talk about the two games that we've talked about already. I put him right there with Case Cookus in terms of my interest level in playing both of them. I think not only do I know DeAndre Johnson's a good play no matter what, but if you play him in the four game or the two game, you definitely, you really get the edge in the four game, but you definitely play him with Trey Williams. Like that should be at least one of your stacking partners with him, knowing that Trey Williams like is fresh off a season high, 23 touches, a season high and backfield touch share. Uh, he is the player who is not only leading this team continuously in carries, but also running the most routes. Um, 80% plus in week two, 66% last week. And so overall, like I'm definitely playing DeAndre Johnson with Trey Williams to diversify myself, but also the fact that New Jersey has the highest implied team total in this slate, uh, second highest maybe. It depends how lines have moved in the past 12 hours since I looked this morning. But overall, like I want piece of this offense anyways. So that's how I'm playing it no matter what, is that I'm locking in Trey Williams, and then I'm probably playing DeAndre Johnson with him wherever I play Trey Williams as well. Yeah, there's not a fantastic receiving option to pair with DeAndre Johnson, but he is the sort of prototypical uh, guy you feel comfortable playing naked uh, in DFS terminology where uh, you don't play him with anyone. So that's an intriguing point. I had not considered playing him with Trey Williams, but I think that they could correlate really well together. And, you know, usually we stay away from quarterback running back, but in this scenario, like to me, Darius Victor is the running back that you would not want to pair with Deandre Johnson. Like he's the one that's going to be inversely correlated. A guy like Trey Williams, who can be the dump off man and possibly take screens for massive yardage could actually work out. You know, as we look for who could be the guy to go along with, DeAndre Johnson, I think another guy that comes to mind is Darius Shepard. He had a down week. I was kind of big on him last week, but in week two, he looked really good and really commanded targets in that offense. It seems like Randy Satterfield is really dealing with a major hamstring injury. Uh, and is like I said, the, the rosters are so thin that you're seeing guys who should be marked inactive literally just sitting there in their pads who who are going to have to play if things get completely hairy. And that was Satterfield last week. And so if that's the case, it's going to be Alonzo Moore and Darius Shepard out there. I like Shepard uh, perfectly fine. I, I don't mind going back to him, but it's certainly going to be trying to make sense in Trey Williams now that you mentioned that. 
Let's go to the Pittsburgh Maulers because I know you were on top of injury reports and there is some pretty big news coming out from their roster in particular in their passing game. Yeah, so as you look through the Maulers, you've got fullback Mikey Daniel. He's out this week. You've got tight end Matt Sabert. He's out. You've also got the two premium wide receivers for this team and Bailey Gaither and Jeff Thomas, they're out. And that's the storyline there is what do the Maulers do in a game where they're projected to lose by 10 points uh, to the New Jersey Generals without their two best receiving options? Well, fortunately for us, that means things get pretty consolidated mighty quickly for this team. As you're looking at some of the options for Pittsburgh, you know, obviously both the running backs will continue to be involved, but we even saw Garrett Groshek pop up on the injury report. He's supposed to be full go, but uh, e- even still, you never like to see these guys on the injury report. Uh, but that leaves Trey Walker, Delvon Hardway, and Brandon Mack as sort of the three wide receiver set for this team. Um, I like Trey Walker after what I saw last week. He really popped on for a decent game. Uh, Hardway and Mack will round out the rest of that rotation, but this team is going to try to establish the run early. That's going to be their MO. They want to do it, but when that fails and when the scoreboard dictates that they're down by two touchdowns and it's time to air it back out again, um, I think you could see Trey Walker be an explosive piece of a winning lineup this week. I do wish they would leave Josh Love in because it seems like he has the most upside because he'll at least attack downfield. Either way, though, yes, I like the DeAndre Johnson, uh, Trey Williams, and run back with Trey Walker. You mentioned it, him getting more opportunity without Gaither and Jeff Thomas last week to an extent. Uh, he did, Walker, see his routes increase from 62% in week two to a route on 88% of the team's dropbacks, a team high in week three. So he'll be out there the most, I assume. You know, assuming gets us in trouble in USFL DFS, but I assume he'll be out there. And then just keep your fingers crossed they need to throw the ball. So that's the way I like playing it. Moving on to the second game on Saturday, it is the Tampa Bay Bandits and Birmingham Stallions. Let's start with the Birmingham side because we did get news that Jamar Smith was cleared to quote-unquote sling it. So what does that mean for you? Should we be targeting Smith as if he's going to be full speed? And as you shake your head, I assume you have the same assumption that I do. I mean, who, absolutely. Who knows? I don't know. I've got a few Jamar Smith lineups put together. I've got uh, I've got half a mind to just fade that completely and play some Alex Magoo lineups. But to me, that it almost feels like galaxy braining it at that point. Where okay, well, you you hit the uh, you know the the perfect trick shot by nailing Magoo, and then what? You still got to hit the other six guys in the rest of your lineup. So. I don't know if I'll have the guts to to pull that particular move, but also yeah, rem- I, remember in week one, Alex Magoo was also the starter. Like they weren't going to play Jamar Smith at all either. So like, who's to say? Like, why would they go back to someone they may perceive as their backup quarterback? And I love Jamar Smith, but it's not up to me. So like, it wouldn't shock me since Magoo uh, practiced in full. I believe last time we heard he's ready to go. Like, it wouldn't shock me at all if he just played the full game since that's what they wanted to do in week one. You know, and, and another thing is that um, uh, Jamar Smith's been on the injury report this week with some illness concerns. So we don't know for sure that he's even going to play. I, I mean, we, we kind of assume he will, but there's a lot of reasons why Alex Magoo could be the starting quarterback. And I, I think the overwhelming reason why it wouldn't be Magoo is because the Stallions are 3-0 and right now. And Jamar Smith has been the quarterback that's gotten them there. 
Um, so, but if you're looking, like I said, we're trying to avoid landmines and there's two screaming landmines at that quarterback position for Birmingham right now that basically say, stay away, stay away, stay away. So maybe we just listen to them and stay away. You could still get pieces of this offense. CJ Marable looks great. Um, you know, at, at the receiver position, Victor Bolden looks fine. Uh, he actually had a few weird drops, but I mean, he's getting heavily targeted. Um, he's like the Lance Lenore of the uh, Birmingham Stallions. But um, yeah, overall, like maybe it just makes more sense to avoid both of those quarterbacks. We are all in, buddy, on CJ Marable this week. Just the fact that it could be Alex Magoo under center. And so you take away a rushing equity from the quarterback from Jamar Smith and add it to the backfield after we saw Tony Brooks or Tony Smith play a season low in snaps, 26% last week. Um, Marble also handle a season high, 76% of the team's backfield touches. Like we are all in this week thinking he could have an even a higher ceiling for the first time, like in all three games. So yeah, I'm definitely in on Marble. He's one of my favorite running backs. And again, I'm listing my favorite running backs, and these are the guys I think actually get more touches and have more explosiveness, thus touchdown equity, than Paul Terry. And that's why I keep coming back to I'd rather play these guys instead. Uh, what about is there a stacking option for you given the injury list for Birmingham for those that may still play Jamar Smith and take a chance? Yeah, I mean, I think Victor Bolden is the one that's the most straightforward and logical. He's the guy you can count on that reliable target volume. But if you want to get a little bit, um, you know, off the board, and and I think if you're playing a bunch of lineups, it certainly makes sense to, then Osiris Mitchell and Marlon Williams are sort of the next two guys up. And Marlon Williams really looks like the deep play um, option there for that offense. But let me give you a little bit of uh, injury report optionality here with Sage Surratt, former Wake Forest Demon Deacon, uh, $2,500 this week. He is going to be the starting tight end. Kerry Angeline, who has played all the tight end snaps for the team through three weeks, he's out. And so Sage Surratt will be the only man up at the tight end position. And Surratt's like equal parts tight end and receiver. He's kind of like that Bug Howard type of player. And so he could go out there and have a perfectly uh, strong game. So if you really wanted to look for a, a low owned option and perhaps, you know, we're talking Saturday night, seven o'clock, you're looking at your lineups. They look a little bit dead and you're trying to spring, bring a little spice of life into them. Then you could certainly uh, bolster that with a little Sage Surratt stack. Uh, it could be a lot of fun there for you on Saturday night. For the Bandits, we got the best game of his season for Jordan Tiamu, which tells me I want to fade him initially because I don't expect him to do that again. But at the same time, it really is hard to predict who to stack this team with since we see C.G. O'Grady, who emerged in week one, his routes cut down every single week in two tight end sets the past two games. Um, not to mention John Franklin now. You basically have to factor in as a running back who also plays wide receiver. He's taking away backfield touches. And as we mentioned last week, the volatility since they did not play B.J. Emmons in the first half of week two and or and then they played B.J. Emmons only basically over Jawan Washington in the second half of week two. We noted that volatility in last week's show, and I thought, okay, that means I'm just not going to play B.J. Emmons, even though I don't think he's a bad play. Maybe I should just play it safe, and that worked out because they did use Jawan Washington significantly more. So how are you handling this offense? 
It, it kind of sucks, honestly. Like th- there are so many mouths to feed at the receiver position that nobody projects out pretty well. Uh, Jordan Te'amu has like we saw the ceiling game and that was not very impressive. Um, I mean, you're almost looking for a multi rushing touchdown type of game for him. The offense itself doesn't look very fresh. It looks a little stale. Um, that Todd Staley offense. I mean, it's the reason why he got fired in the NFL. That Todd Staley offense is so boring, even for the USFL. Yeah, it's, it's getting kind of rough and predictable. Um, and now like Emmons would have been my favorite play if not for last week where Jawan Washington uh, certainly looked better across the board in pretty much every aspect. Uh, just outplayed him start to finish. If I'm sprinkling in players, to me, it's Derek Dillon, the guy who went off last week. Uh, just see if you can ride, uh, see if he can stay hot and, and do it again for you for another week. Uh, was plenty involved in the offense. Uh, peripheral numbers are fine. Nothing great. Rashard Davis, another guy who took a step forward uh, for the team last week. But, yeah, it's a team with too many mouths to feed and not enough offense to go around. So, overall, like, not a super strong team that you feel really confident about. I, I'm okay going back to B.J. Emmons. I'll definitely mix him in a little bit this week as well. Anyone, since this is the cutoff of the two-game slate that we've already talked about, anyone you will be overweight on for Saturday only from the two games between the Generals and Maulers and Bandit Stallions? Yeah, as I'm looking at it, I think I think I want to be overweight on Madre London, which we didn't even talk about for Pittsburgh. But oh. um, as we are, as we're talking about guys who could differentiate themselves at the position, uh, Madre London took a big step forward last week with Garrett Groshek. I think he was dealing with some sort of injury, and and Groshek again on the injury report this week just sort of reading between the lines, there could be an opportunity where Madre London operates as a feature back this week. And in that case, I think he's got the skill set to really blow up a slate. Like he could, he's a candidate for a hundred yards rushing. If he gets enough carries, he's a candidate to be uh, operational out of the backfield, uh, especially if the team gets behind, you know, rack up some cheap garbage PPR points as well. Like I, I think he's got a pretty monster size ceiling um, if, if things break a certain way. So definitely, I, mean, I don't think the field will be super high on him. I think they'll probably be more Groshek than London if I had to guess, but uh, even still, like I would be okay with trying to mix in uh, uh, maybe up to 35 or 40% uh, uh, Madre London on that. Okay, I will be overweight on C.J. Marble, as I already said, for sure. And then maybe in two-game slates, we can't afford to play Jamar Smith. Maybe Alex Magoo, too. I have to think about it a little more. Um, But, yeah, two-game slates, that's definitely where I'm taking more chances at quarterback in particular. I think that's where we can get away with it, for sure. So that's why I like like playing them is just to be more risky. Uh, Four-game slates, I don't think it's necessary to get too cute about that. But this last one. We will also discuss it as a showdown game as well. It is the Houston Gamblers and New Orleans Breakers, and this is the one I'm most excited about, not only for late-swapping opportunities, but I think there's a real chance here to differentiate from the field, and that is, I'll start with my hot take. Uh, Jordan Ellis, great play, right? He's had now 20-plus carries the past two games, and with TJ Logan not only injured in Week 3, but released ahead of Week 4, no longer on the roster, um, this means that Jordan Ellis will continue to most likely lead the team in carries, has a ton of etch- touchdown equity with carries inside the 10 and 5 as well. That's not where they play Larry Rose, who is not explosive either. But with averaging 
five more plays per game than the next closest team, New Orleans. And now against this gambler's defense that's also allowing the most passing yards per game, I want to, in the four-game slate, I want to fade Jordan Ellis, hoping he doesn't score a touchdown because I don't care about his carries. And I want to be overweight on Slaughter in the passing offense with a th- with an onslaught. Three receivers trying to get back on the John Adams train since he did run around on 98% of Slaughter's dropbacks last week. He just came away with one catch. And if that's the case, like I can then be overweight and ahead of everyone in the field because I didn't play the running back and I faded it by naturally trying to soak up the touchdown equity with a passing attack. That's where my head's at right now, Justin. All right. I'm going to try to talk you out of it, Daigle. And here's how I'm going to go. Because I I don't know that any of these uh, teams are capable of supporting three pass catchers in a winning lineup. And that would have, that's something different than what I thought heading into week one. I just, I've not seen enough because I would have, I was definitely trying to force, um, you know, uh, these onslaught type lineups. And anyway, it's just not working. You're going to have to kind of uh, pick and choose around because there's, there's not enough to go around across the board. I would lean. I don't mind the Jordan Ellis fade. I will not be fading him. He'll be one of my most popular plays. So you've 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 poo pooed my two favorite plays of the slate, and they're probably the two chalkiest plays of the slate: Jordan Ellis and Paul Terry. So what about this? Is the way I play DS. Uh, this is the way I play DS. What about then? So you would support Sloter, Jordan Ellis as part of the onslaught, and then picking two of the three New Orleans receivers and hoping you get it right. And like Jonathan Adams and Sean Poindexter or uh, Johnny Dixon. That's what you're saying. Like if you play an onslaught to make sure you have the running back because he still has the high floor in getting easy targets. Yeah, I mean, because I think what we're saying in an onslaught type lineup is that things are just working too well for this offense. Something's wrong with the defense that they're going up against. Something's right with the schemes and the matchups and just – they can't be stopped. And so usually the running back does benefit from that type of thing. So, but I mean, overall, I am trying to kind of cap the number of players I have from any single team. So that's just kind of a personal preference type of thing, I think. But uh, Jay Adams, Jonathan Adams looks fantastic. Um, his catch rate is pretty abysmal, <laughs> but when he catches it, boy, it's something to behold. Like he's a fantastic uh, contested catch type of guy. Johnny Dixon, sure-handed across the middle of the field. Um, I think they make for a really nice pair as you're uh, talking about double stacks, Adams and Dixon for, for Slaughter. I'd say that's probably the most natural double stack on the entire board, uh, especially since we have the quarterback controversy for Birmingham. Uh, otherwise, those guys might be in contention too. But I love that. It's, to me, it's really clear that those two guys are running ahead of everyone else. I'm going to have to think about it because I still do like Sean Poindexter. Like he did run more routes. And I understand he's not getting the same target share, but he did run more routes than Dixon, uh, not only last week, but week two as well. And so I keep coming back to figuring out which one, which which two, if not three, of the receivers I want to play. But overall, I still want to be ahead of the field on this breakers offense. That's why I talk about onslaughting them, even if it is with Jordan Ellis at the end of the day, because like 23 and 34 points in weeks one and two, you see 13 in week three, and I'm not worried about that at all. So I want to be ahead because I do think you talk about an offense in the USFL 
they don't they that means they don't get stopped. I think this is an offense that doesn't get stopped. They got stopped last week, but usually I don't think they're going to get stopped. So I definitely want to play a lot of them. But one of the highest roster players, if not the highest, will of course be Mark Thompson for the gamblers on the other side of the ball. So where do you stand on Thompson? We noted last week's show that although we liked him for to get a five-point bonus to go over 100 yards, gamblers, running backs, were not getting targets. They hadn't seen a single target through until week three, and so it was no big deal fading him. But they did finally get targets. They got one each. At the same time, though, it's a double-edged sword because it is only one each. So really, the gamblers are telling us they're still not really trying to target their running backs at all. But also, Thompson, at least five and a half yards per carry on double-digit carries all three games now. So a very good player and special relative to USFL competition. Yeah, I think Mark Thompson could be a legitimate player. Uh, he certainly looks it right now. I mean, he the way he runs kind of reminds me of Leonard Fournette, um, just big body guy and ad, more agile than he looks like he should be. Um, yeah, I think he's a, a, a interesting play this week in particular because he is he's been on the injury report with an illness. There seems to be some sort of and and of course we hear nothing about this from the league. Um, luckily, I've I've kind of tapped into the official league data source. So I've got some. Um, I'm getting some of this information. This show needs to be paywalled. Go ahead. This show it needs does. to be paywalled. <laughs> paywall the show. Uh, but yeah, so the the official league data source is reporting uh, Mark Thompson missing multiple practices this week with illness. And so if that's the case, and not only Mark Thompson, but also Daylon Dawkins as well. So the only two running backs that have played a single snap for uh, the gamblers this week are, are in jeopardy of missing. And the reason we don't have an injury report for them yet is because they play the Sunday game. And uh, we usually get those reports, I think, two days in advance. So sometime tonight, you know, after lock, we'll find out about Mark Thompson. So definitely be sure to keep your eyes on that. Would not surprise me if both those guys were somehow sent to practice squad, made inactive or whatever. Uh, or are, you know, quote unquote active, but don't play. And in which case, Devwall Whaley would be the guy brought up from uh, the practice squad. And if the dude gets 100% of the backfield touches in a backfield that's shown that they can run the ball pretty well, I'm very interested in that. And that's a guy who will be like 2% owned, um, you know, based on the way that the slate dynamics could present themselves because most people are not adjusting after lock. And that gives us a really, really big edge to uh, play a guy like that. So definitely want to soak up the news and see who's active and who's inactive once those 3 a.m. Shefty bomb equivalents come out from the USFL. But if it is Thompson, uh, I'm kind of lukewarm to it, honestly. Like there's there's a pretty easy path towards failure for him. Um, but then again, the ceiling is there too. So it's really just a matter of risk tolerance and how that fits into your lineup. Um, the passing game is starting to come to life a little bit for Houston, it seems like. Uh, Clayton Thorson is finding a way he does it on some like extremely weird efficiency numbers where his like touchdown rate is through the roof, despite the fact that his you know traditional consistency is not the greatest in the world. So, um, you know, maybe this is a game that could uh, shoot out a little bit if, if Thorson can be forced to put his foot on the gas a little bit. And I keep saying five point bonus on DraftKings, just a reminder that it's three points as the great Cody main established the run reminds me. Three points. You're right, Cody. Yes, that's what I meant to be saying. I kept yelling five points. Um, what is your best 
like who is your favorite run back then? Let's say we play Breakers offense. Would it be like a Dev Wall Whaley? We bring them back, or is there another passing game option you're interested in? Because showdown, that's interesting because we can captain Wale, right? And probably no one else is going to be on him except the sickos watching this show. So that's great for us. But in four game slates, before we hammer home showdown content, uh, where do you stand on who is the best option to run it back if you don't think it's Mark Thompson? Yeah, I think a lot of people will be interested in going back to Isaiah Zuber. Zuber scored a touchdown in all three weeks so far, but a little bit of fool's gold out there with Isaiah Zuber somehow getting there as Clayton, Tor- Clayton Thorson's favorite uh, end zone target, apparently, but not a very promising target share. Only 15% of the team's targets across three weeks so far. Um, so that means we're looking at different options. Tyler Simmons comes to mind, although he did not have the most uh, – stellar routes run last week every person that we'll be looking at has at least one major red flag in their arsenal you know but anthony ratliff williams the guy who had the amazing catch fumble fumble recovery touchdown uh that was it was a pretty unique play as far as uh you know top plays go but um he seems to be like the guy who's most capable of taking a little bit of targets and turning it into a lot of production, but he just did that last week. So a lot of times we see receiver scoring be a little bit of a little sinusoidal. If I can use a former uh, trigonometry word there and lots of waves and uh, in terms of how that distribution looks. And so I, I don't anticipate it comes back again this week. So Tyler Simmons, I think would be my guy if I'm running that. Yeah, it's it's still frustrating. Like I got lucky to avoid Simmons last week since that 64% route rate, which dipped from 100% in week two, uh, did not help him out. But sure, we think he's going to run more now over Anthony Ratliff-Williams. That'd be tremendous since he showed out well in week two. But for showdown, we've already talked about Devois being our favorite. Like I think he's a tremendous caption option, captain option for everything you said if we get the injury news accordingly, how else will you be playing this game in particular for showdown? Yeah, I think we're going to need some more injury news to really solidify that. But um, I think this is a slate where if you think that there's a receiver from new Orleans that really separates, then that's your captain. You go ahead and throw that guy in the captain, pair him up with Slaughter, and then uh, likely go ahead and pair him up with Jordan Ellis as well. There's three of your six players right off the bat, mix in breakers D there goes four. And now we're dangerously close to having a five, one onslaught against the gamblers. And you try to figure out who can have the best chance to success. So mix and match one other gambler in there in that lineup and make it a five, one construction. That to me is a good way to do it. And then you say, well, if this game just gets completely ugly and breakers win, you know, 30 to seven, then uh, yeah, then we've got exactly who we need to make that work. So I I think I want to just kind of construct, attack that constructually. And I will put my stamp on it and say, I still think Jonathan Adams is the best captain option if you're going to go that route outside of Devil Whaley pending injury news because, yes, he's going to the, – it's the contested catch rate is because he gets tougher targets, but also he has the higher ceiling. We've seen that already. And so I don't mind chasing a player who we know, like Lance Lenore, don't think he has a ceiling. Uh, in his situation anyways, the player, yes, with the quarterback, no, not at all. But we know already Adams has a ceiling if everything comes together right. And so that's the player, like, I still think he's my favorite option, both for the four-game slate 
and for Showdown on Sunday. Also, remember, for everything we talked about, you can use the promo code 444 at runthesims.com to get 10% off because Justin is working around the clock to make sure those injuries, that little red guy with the hurt head that stands out, you see the bandages whenever you're in the Run the Sims projections that I make sure to keep up with, uh, because it helps me rather than scattering for news last second that I know Justin is working around the clock working on. So until then, Justin, any parting words, any stamp of approvals before we get out of here for week four of USFL DFS? Uh, let's promise each other not to overthink it this week. Let's uh, let's take the free squares wherever they may appear and uh, not get too crazy and one of us bring home a, a big payday. I love it. Thanks to everyone for listening. We will continue being back, hopefully with more lessons learned from this week. We will see you next Friday.